Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. My name is John Tomlinson and today I'm going to be speaking to Gary Platt and we're going to be starting to take a look at transactional analysis theory and looking at how we can apply that within the training room. I'm here again with Gary Platt. Hi, Gary. How are you? Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What do you want to discuss today? I thought what we could start to do is to talk about something called transactional analysis. Well, that's a really fascinating subject, but it's also quite a broad topic, and it's going to take a few casts for us to really cover it. So we decided we're going to split it up. So where are we going to start, Gary? I think the starting point are almost like the foundation blocks, and that would be something called ego states. Okay. I suppose, well, let me, let me just set my own credentials, really, about um, my own background with TA. I worked out it's about 30 years ago now. And what happened was I was working as a trainer in Manchester and something had not gone well in a training setting. And I sat at the desk and Rebecca, who I used to work with, I was telling her the story and she leant over the table and said, you need to get into TA, you do. And I'm sat there thinking, what, me join the Territorial Army? Um, I just, you know, I, I don't see it. No, I don't see that either, Gary, to be honest. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what what happened was I started to read a couple of articles about TA, and it was absolutely, I thought it was, it was fantastic. And then I went to a trainer in uh, Manchester, a guy called Robin Hobbs, and I started to learn TA direct uh, from Robin. And I've never looked back since, really. I've used it in lots of different contexts in a training environment. And I think you've said you've used it yourself, don't you, John? Yeah, I've used it. In fact, the ego states, but I use it quite a lot to uh, not necessarily to understand my own behavior or behavior of others, but in order to actually communicate things like assertiveness yeah. and those those kind of skills or communication related yeah. um, skills, especially in conflict type situations. Yeah. I've found it really useful for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting as as well, TA, for me. It's a tool that you can use. But what, what I also find with TA is that as you use TA, it also works on you. It, it kind of it, it directly impacts and makes you personally more aware of your own behaviours. And of all the things that I've learned about human behaviour, it has probably been the most constructive and personally effective for me. So do you want to just talk through, first of all, the theory about what we mean when we talk about transactional analysis and then what we mean by ego states? And then we can move on to how you apply it, both in understanding yourself and others' behaviour, but then also in terms of communicating concepts to trainees. The concept of TA began with a guy called Eric Byrne, who originally was a practising Freudian psychologist, and he was apparently unhappy with the relationship that he had with his clients, which, I mean, I don't know if you've you've read any Freud, but it's impenetrable. I got one of these Freud in 30-minute books and got lost in two minutes. It's unbelievably complex and difficult and hard to understand. And he would work with his clients, and for a greater part of the relationship, they didn't know what was going on. And then, so consequently, what, what... Byrne wanted to do is to create a concept or a framework of psychology which lay people if you like could understand and grasp now 
I think at the moment it's fair to say that psychology is not yet a science. It's definitely heading in that direction, you know, with increasing understanding of brain function and being able to follow it. But I'd have to say that, and this is true for any psychology, it is a way of understanding. I wouldn't necessarily say it is the way of, you know, of how the brain works. But it, there's been some interesting developments that that kind of confirm some of the conceptual framework that, that, that transactional analysis is all about. So are you saying there that although it's based on psychology and Freud psychology, we should remain slightly sceptical as to it being a, a single explanation of the truth? Yes, that, without question. You know, I'm very keen on TA, but I don't... I wouldn't say I'm evangelistic about it. I mean, I think it's it's different strokes for different folks. Uh, and for me, TA has been extremely powerful in the sense of helping me to understand myself and also helping me to understand context and situations. Okay, so transactional analysis was a, a way of simplifying psychology. You said you were going to focus this first part just on ego states, what they are and how we can use that. So do you want to just talk through what you mean by ego states? Unnecessarily say it simplifies psychology, but it makes it simpler to understand. Right. Ego states, there are, when, when a child is born, it has, uh, it goes through a, a series of phases of development. And often those phases of development are now becoming increasingly more understood. And uh, one of the primary, there's two kind of a primary and a secondary driver uh, that you could talk about for children. And the first one that the child often and will frequently demonstrate is is what I would call a copy, copy, copy driver. Uh, And what happens is that uh, the child, and this is probably through evolution, well, it almost certainly is through evolutionary disposition. The child, the baby cannot feed itself it cannot look after itself it cannot defend itself it can't even move so what do you do if you're in that position well you get other people to do everything for you and the probably one of the important things is back in the past is that you had to be like the tribe or the family or the family unit and so consequently, what the, what the child did was to very quickly start to copy uh, in terms of behaviours and tonal uh, range of the, the parent and actions, uh, what the parent did. Right. Okay. And what's happening? And you know, and this isn't. You've seen this in animals. I was going to say it sounds something that's common to animals as well, or certainly, yeah. ma- certainly mammals. Yeah. Absolutely. And so consequently, what what happens is that the child starts to copy whatever the parent does. Now, the early relationship between the parent and the child, if you ever listen to a parent speaking to a very young child, it sounds like this. Come here, take that out of your mouth, stop that, hurry up, sit down. What are you doing? It's all about control. It's all about telling the child what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why it should do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. The child doesn't know right from wrong. The child doesn't know safe from unsafe. So so consequently, the parental figure has to be strongly controlling. Right. And, and, and the other thing is that often, you know, parents will invade uh, the child's body space. You know, they will put their face very close to them when they're speaking to them. And the word you 
or derivations of the word you will be used a lot. You're going to do this and you're not doing that. You come here now. So the baby's observing all of this and seeing that as natural human behaviour. What happens is you've got this human piece of blotting paper in front of you and it soaks up that parental involvement, that engagement, that control that the parent expresses. And uh, what happens is that uh, in terms of the child development, that is the first thing or one of the very early things that the child starts to develop in terms of personality and psychology and uh, you know and and what you'll get are children who who will imitate and copy the parent and you know and, and older children will will play at a house and pretend to be mummy or daddy or whatever it is and that's all part and parcel of this copying of the parental figure and what that creates, John, is the first ego state, which is called the parent ego state. And a lot of it, not all of it, but a big chunk of it is about control. OK, so the child in that position listens to the parent, soaks up all that, those behaviours, etc. Mm. And in imitating that develops its own parent state. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can definitely see that, as you said, with older children, as soon as they get a bit older and get either play or they actually get some actual responsibility they immediately start aping their parents yeah 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 i remember doing it myself so then so that's how the child initially develops its parental uh, model so it would copy the style of the parent are there therefore multiple approaches to the parent ego state or are all parent ego states more or less the same you know again there are different there are different people the way they describe this but you will often talk about controlling parent and then you will sometimes talk about what's called the nurturing parent uh, and obviously when parents bring up children uh, hopefully there's some degree of nurturing which is looking after protecting preventing harm from coming to and and that's another element or another aspect of the parent ego state that is developed Right, okay, so it would copy both styles, the kind of the nurturing and the and the more controlling. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So but then how does it develop beyond that? Immediately what you've now got is the origin of where you get up controlling managers or, you know, somebody who's customer-facing who is perhaps slightly patronising and it's often it will be being driven by this parental control, you know, because there's nothing more patronising than a parent speaking to a child sometimes. And, you know, and immediately you can start to put this and contextualise it into a training and a workplace context. Okay, that's interesting. I think we'll yeah. need to sort of dig down quite a lot more into that in terms of how you turn that into training. Yeah, yeah. Just one other thing is, one of the things that's been discovered recently in the human brain are something called mirroring cells. And it's just worth pointing out that this is one area where the physiology supports the psychology. You know, there are these areas of a child's brain where it is got this, it's programmed to copy. And what the child does is mirror the behavior. And, and you know, and that's clearly uh, something that's confirmed by the physiology of the brain. Now, the next area and the next ego state that kind of begins to, 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 to follow in is what's called the child ego. Right. Now, the child ego is that element uh, of us that basically is about learning and development and expression of the self. Now, how does the child ego develop? It develops typically by and through play, you know, because uh, children play and 
what is play? Play is an incredibly sophisticated form of learning. So what the child is doing when the child plays is learning how the world operates. Now, the other thing to say about play is it's completely uninhibited. You know, I'm not bothered about what you want. I'm not concerned about what your judgment is. And, and to some degree, I, I would speculate that this is driven by a secondary driver that the child has got, which is about look after number one. Don't be concerned about other people. Make sure that you've got enough food for yourself. Uh, you know, so you don't share, you, you hang on to the food. And, in, and indeed, you know, again, you can see this in children. They're not bothered about the judgments of others. It's only, uh, it's all about me. It's all about what I want, when I want it and how I want it. And what the child is doing is exploring the world and beginning to develop this child ego of being uninhibited and doing what I want and how I want it. So, again, as with the adult one, is there different types of child ego state? Yeah, I mean, there's the one that we've just been uh, discussing, which is this, what we call the free child. It, you know, it's uninhibited, it doesn't care, it does what it wants. But there's another aspect of, of child ego, and that is anybody who has children will know that they are the most manipulative individuals on the planet. They know exactly <laughs> what buttons to press. They know exactly what levers to pull. That is not an accident. Right. That is because of evolutionary disposition to look after number one. Um, and what a child does is adapt its behavior basically to get it what it wants. It adapts its behavior. Now, that adaptation might be to avoid pain that the parent might try to impose. Or the adaptation might be to get what it wants, food, toys, engagement from the parental figures so a, a child is being pushed around uh, a shop it sees something it wants and you know it, it stretches its hand out and says i want the parent tries to teach the child to say please now bluntly this this young this this very young child does not understand social politeness but it does understand statistics and, and it understands that if I preface what I want with the word please, I am more likely to get it. And so consequently, what the child does is adapt its behavior to get it what it wants. Now, in older, in, in people like ourselves, John, we're much more stuck in our ways. You know, we'll stick with the behavior, uh, you know, until it kills us. A child won't. You know, a child will adapt and change its behavior until it does get what it wants. OK, so we have the free child and we have the adapted child state. Yeah. And in the parental figure, we had the, uh, the nurturing parent and the controlling parent. Yeah. So what is the third of, of the ego states? And the third is the last ego state to develop. And again, there's been some developments in, you know, the understanding of the human brain and, and the adult ego state is the ability to basically adopt a here and now approach, not to be influenced by what our parents told us, not to be influenced by the emotional state of the child, but to almost be more objective to be able to see things from almost a third party position of what's happening here. 
and to do it in an objective and leaning towards a logical approach. Now, um, this ability to be objective, this ability to be grounded, if you like, when we try to understand and recognize states, situations rather, we would generally think oh, it's in situ or it's fully developed or it's you know, predominantly developed by the age of seven. There is some research to indicate that in some individuals, it's not in even until their 20s till that state has actually been fully developed and uh, in situ. Yeah, I think I might qualify for that, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for myself there as well. I think right. I can see that in myself. So is that a natural thing? Or is it something that we kind of we develop because we have to? Because that's how adult society works. I think. Well, it's a difficult one to answer that because to I'm going to shoot myself in the foot now and say, you know, I'm talking about these ego states. If you cut the human brain open, there aren't three ego state sites in the brain. It's a way of understanding human behaviour. Now, I think human beings are in a constant state of evolution and development. Do we see this kind of behavior in animals other than primates? Not too frequently, I don't think. So it, it's probably something that's, you know, that, that, that is an aspect or an element of evolutionary development, which is relatively new. So those are the three different ego states that we can use. The, the parental one, which is controlling or nurturing. The child yeah. one, which is free or adapted. Yeah. Um, the, that much more manipulative, manipulative sel selfish approach. Yeah. And the, the adult state, which is much more sort of rational, objective, here and now, as you put it, grounded. Yeah. Okay, so we have the basic model of the three different ego states. So how can we use this to improve our own self-awareness of our own behaviours? Well, let, let me talk about my own experience first and then how I've seen it work in other people. And perhaps uh, perhaps you can share your own experience of it, uh, John. But uh, for myself, as I began to learn and understand this concept of ego states, I could recognize those states through my own experience, through my own behaviors through my own interactions with other people and what, what I was doing and what I was thinking and how I was feeling. There's an old saying, knowledge is power. And I think once I began to understand what was happening in me, I could start to understand, well, what could I do differently? You know, why am I doing this? How is this affecting other people? And so consequently, it's like being able to lift the the bonnet of a car up and it not just being an unholy mess of wires and pipes and, and, and engine bits. It, I've got a much more under, clear understanding of what all the bits are and how it all fits together. And then I am able to, if you like, work on it and recognize when certain ego states are present in my behavior. Can you give us any specific example? Yes. So I'm, in, I'm running a training session and somebody says something that is particularly challenging or difficult. And in me, I will sometimes experience my adapted child appearing, which is to kind of run away or escape or get away from this danger. Or in other circumstances, I will feel my controlling parent beginning to engage wanting to shut this person down or stop them. And, and consequently, the minute that happens, 
the dynamic, the relationship between me as a trainer and that person as a student can become damaged because I go into a parent or I go into a child mode. Now, sometimes it's completely appropriate to go into a parent or child mode, but you need to understand when it is and when it isn't. And you need to understand the concept of ego states to be able to make that judgment. And so consequently, I have checked myself and altered my behavior because I have recognized where that behavior is coming from and also recognized it may not be a constructive or a positive behavior to demonstrate at this moment in time. Okay, so you have had the self-awareness there to recognize the ego state and made a judgment that that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. So how did you then change the ego state? Uh, to what to what to some degree john awareness is 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 the most important thing because if you're aware of it then you can you know you can do something about it and sometimes that doing something about it is just taking a deep breath and asking yourself what should i do now or asking the person what do they want to say or what is it they want what's the point they want to make rather than becoming Uh, judgmental or becoming defensive and it's very at this point in time i'd say it's very difficult to just to say this is what you do i think it's about personal awareness about i think it's about understanding what is happening now there there, now there are some basic things You, you can use something called grounding technique oh yeah i've used that quite a lot actually uh, yeah, I, I mean it's a, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's a, it's a great way of, if you like, just stepping back from the situation, getting yourself into an adult ego state, and then asking yourself, what do I want to do now? You know, what's the most appropriate behaviour that I take now? Now I've done that quite a lot when it's something that's quite emotional. And, yes, uh, I, I use grounding technique quite a lot, or if there's somewhere I'm particularly nervous. Yes, and I've also been able to use it in the sense of coaching or counselling others, uh, advising others about how they would cope in that situation. Perhaps it's worth you just talking through what that would look like, grounding technique, because it is very quick and simple. Yes, I mean, I you know, as I say, I'll use it before I'm doing a big presentation or an interview or you know anything that's potentially stressful. So, what you do, you can do it anywhere. Nobody needs to do it, and and can I just qualify that if you do it once and it doesn't work it doesn't mean it won't work for you right it, it would be it would be a bit like me saying to you john yeah i tried to ride a bike once when i was five and i fell off i can't do it right okay you know you gotta you gotta practice it you've right. got to develop it what happens is when you move into a stressful situation or a stressful setting you will often have what i would call a physiological response in other words you will feel yourself changing now for me when I feel threatened or stressed, uh, first of all, I can't think straight. The temperature gauge, gauge goes off in my body. I start getting very hot and I get very energized and I start wanting to move. OK, now for other people, they'll talk about butterflies in their stomach or they'll talk about this. They can feel their skin going red. It, it's different for different people. Right. OK. Now, when that trigger happens... What I then do is use grounding technique because what's happening, I am reacting to that situation. It's a bit like, you know, at the doctor. Well, I've never been to the doctors where they actually do it, but, you know, they got that little hammer and they knock you on the knee and your, your, your foot jerks up. 
No, it's never happened to me either. No, I, I know exactly I, I, what you mean, but it's never yeah, happened. No, why would you do that? <laughs> um, Hit somebody with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, it's a physiological. It's a reaction. It's autonomous. You don't think about it. You just do it, and you do exactly the same thing when you feel threatened. Now, when that happens to me, that's the cue to use grounding technique. So let's stop. <laughs> what do you do? First of all, you become visually aware of what you can see. And when I say visually or consciously aware, you start to log what you can see. So you can see the colour of the carpet. What is it? What's what's the light colour? What What's the um, the wall colouring? What's the colour of the, the, the shirt? Or... So in, in your head, you mean you're yes. kind of almost like listing everything that you can see in your head? Yeah. Right. Just just the, the big ones, not everything. And you can do it, you know, when but you're I'm becoming having... aware of the here and now. Yes. And, and you know, I'm, I'm having to verbalize it in order to speak to you, John. When you do it, you're doing it in microseconds. Right. OK. You can get incredibly quick at it. So first of all, you visualize. Secondly, you become aware of what you can hear. You know, what's the sounds you can hear? And you can probably hear the air con hum or you can hear traffic in the background or you can hear the tone of the voice of the person who's speaking to you, whatever it or they are. And then the final thing is, is what do you feel temperature wise or, you know, the clothing that you're wearing or the, the, the seat that you sat in? What is it that, that kinesthetically you can feel on your body? And what you do by going through that visually, what do I see? Auditorily, what can I hear? And 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 kinesthetically, what do I feel? Is you move into this objective, adult, grounded state because you've what you've done is basically process a lot of facts and data. Right. And and the question you then ask yourself is is what do I want to do here? What is it appropriate? What action should I take? And, and what that does for me personally, it allows my clarity in thinking to return. It allows me to recognize my own reactions and why am I reacting to that? And is it appropriate? Basically, I mean, some people will talk about the adult ego state as, an, as an, what's called an executive function, because it, it may not always be appropriate to continue in adult. I'll give you one example. I was working with a, a group of quite young apprentices a couple of years ago now, and one of them said something that was really extremely offensive, racially offensive. And I, I, I could suddenly, I felt really quite threatened by what this individual has said. And I, I started to, you know, start to go into grounding technique. And before it even got through visually what I could, I could see, I'd, I'd grabbed hold of this adult ego state and said, what's appropriate here? And it was immediately apparent that I had to tell this person that that behavior was unacceptable. And if he did it again, he was out. And I would be telling in him, uh, the team leader, what he'd just said and done. And basically, I let rip with parent ego state. Because that was the, but you objectively decided that that was the right decision to take. Exactly, John. Exactly. And, and, and there's a, there's a popular misconception that adult ego state is the best ego state. It's only the best if it's appropriate to that setting. So, for instance, you know, adult ego state, if you were in adult ego state and you were asked to run a brainstorming session, it would be a terminal failure. 
Right. Okay. So that would be more free child, would it? Yes, exactly. Uninhibited. I don't care what people think about my ideas. I'm just going to shoot them out and see what you think. Okay. Well, that's a, that, that's a really good example, a really interesting example. So the main reason we would use it is to um, take put ourselves into that executive position where we can make a good objective decision about what is the best, most appropriate ego state to use at any particular time which may well be adult a lot of the time, considering the environments that we work in, but not necessarily. Yeah. No, it, it, could, it could be parent, it could be child in certain circumstances. So let, let's go on and look at this, how we could actually use it in the training room when we're not solely looking at ourselves, when we're looking at the other delegates in the room. One of the things I would say, you can use it in lots of different contexts. I mean, the one that immediately uh, jumps out, out at me is assertiveness training. Right. Because... TA is at the heart of being assertive. It, you know, it's a primary force behind recognizing your own rights and the rights of the people or the individual with whom you're interacting. And TA is a fundamental way of exploring assertiveness. And, and it's also, I think, a very interesting way of exploring assertiveness in terms of why am I aggressive or why am I passive? Well, often you're aggressive because you're flipping into this controlling parent mode or often you're being passive because you're flipping into this adapted child mode. Now, passivity can sometimes, not always, uh, just an example, can have its origins in an adaption that the child had. And the adaption that the child had was that if you're in danger, Take a low profile. It's dangerous. It can be difficult out there. You know, and for a five-year-old, that's a really good instruction. You know, you can't do anything for yourself. You can't protect yourself. It's extremely difficult. Having a low profile, not drawing attention to yourself, staying out of harm's way, it's a good piece of advice for a five-year-old. So, so if somebody's quite likely to slip into an aggressive mode, you could use this to, say, explain how they're um, going into parent or, as you said, yeah. into a passive mode. Is yeah. there, is there, does it map to passive-aggressive at all? Yes, I think, yes. I, I mean, I, I have seen it and I've used it in that particular way to look at those things. And, and the other thing is, I, I, because TA has got this language, has got these terms like parent and uh, and child ego, it becomes, I think, more acceptable to people to talk about their own parent ego rather than saying bossy, destructive. Right, yes. You know, it, you know it's a much more uh, conducive language to explore concepts with. Yeah, it's an objective way of describing it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Much, less emo- much less emotionally fueled, and therefore it's easier to, to own it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any? I can see how that's very useful in terms of explaining the the passive, aggressive, and assertiveness, and how that works together. Hmm. Is there any other particular way that you use it in training? There's lots of different ways. I mean, the other one is to talk about, for instance, Ursian Blanchard's concept of leadership styles. You know, and one of the things he'll talk about is a directive style of leadership. You know, and this is where you give the person direction about what they'll do, when they'll do it, why they'll do it. And in certain circumstances, if you're dealing with somebody who's brand new in a job, it's a completely appropriate style. But what I will constantly encounter are managers who have that style 
and that style alone. And I think the foundations of that mono style is because they have a very strong controlling parent. And, you know, and that's reflected, their, their personality is reflected in their management or leadership style, which is about being directive and telling people what to do. And quite recently, I, you know, I was working with a team leader who was, you know, was in his late 60s, in fact. And, you know, he began to be he, he was aware of that he was very directive in his style. He was incredibly bossy, if you like, in, in his approach to dealing with people and, and being able to understand where it was coming from and why it was like that. It's like it was almost like it gave him permission to recognize that perhaps it wasn't entirely uh, something that he could do nothing about. And he explained where it came from and he felt more empowered then to do something about it and move to a more adult, fact-based, objective approach and alter his range of style in terms of dealing with people. Yeah, I could see how it could um, map to leadership style. What about anything else like um, customer service, for example? Both of us have have a background in Virgin Atlantic and I once watched training of cabin crew And one of the things that, you know, I I can recognize there is that the amount of effort and time that went into recruiting the right sort of person saved an awful lot of time in the training that took place. And what I'm saying there is, John, they got people who were orientated to pleasing people and you know and recognizing the needs of individuals and and it was i'd almost say you know you're moving towards some degree of nurturing parent and some positive adaptations from childhood but quite recently uh, this week in fact uh, virgin had a failure didn't they on um, one of their flights with the flight yeah yeah and uh, those cabin crew would have to move into a very directive style now, you know, we, again, what we're talking about there is recognizing uh, that we may need to spend more time with certain people in particular circumstances. Now, that's an unusual one because it's about it's about being customer orientated, but going to a controlling parent mode, you know, to make sure that people listened to and did what you told them to do. In a more common setting, you know, you want people to recognize the needs of individuals and respond to those. And you're talking about nurturing parent. You're talking about looking after, taking care of, you know, making sure that those people are okay. And, you know, if people are stuck in particular modes, like controlling parent or uh, inappropriate adapted child mode or frankly too much adult mode you know uh, there's nothing more tedious than dealing with an adult ego state i mean they suck the oxygen out of every party i can tell you <laughs> you know and, and, and you want something something or somebody who's engaging you don't necessarily get that with adult ego state i think that's really interesting and in in courses that i've run which are around sort of behavioral things around assertiveness service well essentially anything about engaging with other people yeah there's always the question about 
how far do I go with still being myself and how far do I actually go in terms of behaviours that are designed rather than natural, if you see what I'm mm. saying. Yeah. And I could see how this model might help people to say they're actually it's it's all yourself. It's just different parts of yourself that you're using and flexing in and out of in different yeah. circumstances. I mean, you do get this horrible approach to customer care, which is entirely behaviorally driven, and it comes across as being false and plastic. Yeah, so I think that's why I can see a lot of advantage in sort of appealing to different sides of of the single person, saying it's still you, it's just one part of you. Exactly. So um, one of the jobs that I can immediately see where it's important to understand the needs of the people you're dealing with is, of course, as a trainer. Yeah. So how, as a trainer, how do you use transactional analysis or how do you use the ego states of transactional analysis to better engage with your delegates in the room? Now, uh, you know, I'm also using it to calibrate where people are that I'm dealing with. You know, and sometimes I will encounter people who are in controlling parent from the off. Now, I take much less umbrage or I'm not quite so threatened by that uh, anymore because I recognize that that's an issue for that person and not so much an issue for me. I have to deal with it, obviously, and I have to respond to it. But I recognize that's an area of probably of growth and development that that individual needs to be aware of. So it helps you. So it helps you have a non-emotional reaction to that. Yes, it, it also helps me to diagnose, to some degree, situations that I'm in. Uh, and again, you know, you you, you you have to tie it in with a hundred other other things that you're doing to understand settings that you're in. And is there anything that you would particularly do if you encountered somebody, for example, in controlling parent in a training course to try and pull them into a more effective um, ego state? Um, well, for, well, first of all, I want to see how whether, whether it's basically probably an individual who is in that too much or whether it's just somebody who when they in that training setting. And for some people, you know, I, I will encounter people that their own experience of of learning was previously at school where they didn't have such a good time and so consequently they feel quite threatened and their reaction to the threat is to go into controlling parent now as i begin to uh, introduce myself and my approach to training and the subject and how we're going to address it i will sometimes calibrate that this person is calming down to some degree if it's excessive, John, at a quieter moment, out of earshot from other people, I'd ask them directly if there was a problem and I'd do it in this adult mode. If it was preventing them from learning and most definitely if it was preventing other people from learning. OK, well, that's very helpful. Thanks for that, Gary. Are there any other resources about this that you can point people to? Well, a couple of years ago, I, I developed a really simple ego state questionnaire that helps people well it produces a kind of profile of ego states and it's called an egogram now to be blunt john the results are worthless okay that is quite blunt yes yes uh, but i don't use it necessarily for what the egogram it produces what i do is i get people to complete the questionnaire and then we talk about whether they agree or disagree with the egogram and why they agree or disagree and 
what they think their actual egogram is. So it's really just a starting point or, you know, a jumping off point for further discussion about their own ego states. And the questionnaire acts as an energizer for doing that. So I can make I can make that available to you, John, and you can give it to other people. Okay, thanks for that, Gary. If anybody's interested in seeing that, please contact us. Uh, go to the website, www.trainer-tools.com, and there's a contact form there, and you can request any of the materials for this show or any of the other shows through that method. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time today, Gary. My pleasure. And do you want to just remind everybody where you're from, Gary? Yeah, I work for an organisation called EEF. Part of our function is training and development of uh, managers and staff. and I'm available for training and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gary. Speak again. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was me talking to Gary Platt about transactional analysis, the first in what I suspect will be quite a long series of casts. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found it useful. Please go to our website, www.trainer-tools.com, for more information, and see you next time.